Welcome to the New Zealand China Council podcast. I'm Alistair Crozier, the Executive Director of the Council. This week is New Zealand Chinese Language Week, Xinxilan Zhongwenzhou. The Council has been an active supporter of the week through sponsorships and outreach programs since its inception in 2014. As part of the celebration of this year's Chinese Language Week, we speak to two of our Council members, Kerry Nathan, founder of her eponymous clothing brand Kerry Nathan Limited, and Mark Tanner, founder and managing director of Shanghai-based market strategy and research agency China Skinny, about their Chinese language journeys, and in Kitty's case, about how her experiences of studying te reo Māori and Chinese te reo haina have enhanced her understanding and respect of different cultures. Kia ora korua, and I guess it's appropriate to say niman hao, and uh, welcome to New Zealand Chinese Language Week, Kitty Nathan and Mark Tanner. Yeah. Kia ora, Alistair. I know this is a new thing for all of us. We're Mandarin superstars this year uh, for New Zealand Chinese Language Week, and I think it's fair to say that none of us really feel that we are superstars. Uh, so we all have a collective inferiority complex when it comes to our comes to our language. But this is part of the point of the week, I guess, is is to acknowledge that that we're not all fluent speakers. A little bit can go a long way, and uh, it's encouraged everyone to have a go and not be put off by the apparent difficulty of the language. Mark, I thought I'd I'd start with you and your language journey and casting back to when you started. When did you first go to China, and did you start learning the language before you went, or did you wait until you were on the ground? Um, how did it all unfold? Now, I am a creature. I much like a lot of New Zealanders. I I think I've got a little bit of an adventurous spirit and I wanted to see the world and I didn't start off with China actually it was in North America initially and then a few years in Europe and then a year in Africa and then I came home and I met a young lady and she wanted to do her OE as well so we both thought China would be quite an interesting place to go it was it was becoming increasingly relevant and also it was not far from home. So we jumped on, on a plane after we were married and ended up in a class in Beijing, studying Chinese there. So that was 2010. So I was uh, in my mid thirties and uh, it, was, it was not easy. It was harder than I thought it would be because uh, there were a bunch of kids, European kids in the class. They were 18, 19 probably spoke five languages on average each. And then there was me, yeah. who was a little bit monolingual, a little Look, bit of Arabic. Um, yeah, think. yeah. So you sort of had it, you know, in both ears, right? You were learning in class and then leaving class and going out into China and, and having to navigate around. In retrospect, yeah. Um, yeah. were you pleased you did it that way? Or do you wish you'd um, studied a bit before leaving home? I think there was things I would do a little bit differently, but I think the as so many people told me, if you can immerse yourself a little bit uh, better, you learn it a lot quicker. So it's a lot less painful. So for me, I had no regrets at all. I just, uh, there's a few little little details I probably would have done differently. Sure. And Kitty, how about you? Did you just hit the ground and then start picking up some words or did you did you give it a go from a book before you left? Or how do you learn languages? What's, what's your style of language learning? Um. Kia ora koutou. Kona koe ngā tīni nā te maru me nā te haua o koe iwi, ko Kiri Nathan tōku ingwa. My journey started by approaching a friend who could speak Chinese before I left New Zealand because my first trip to China was very impromptu and very last minute 
it was to go specifically to the fabric markets. They sort of like tried to teach me how to say things, but of course I just couldn't grasp it. So they wrote down on a little A4 piece of paper, how much per meter. And I went into the fabric markets, the largest fabric market in the world with a little A4 paper saying how much per meter in Chinese character. And that was literally my only form of communication on my first hiding out or my first trip to Guangzhou. And so oh. it was like, not just hit the ground, but just completely clueless. I had no idea about contacts. I had no idea what to do, or um, I had no idea that we should try and engage a translator or an agent on the ground. And so therefore, by the second time, the second time I went back, I took five other uh, Māori designers with me and we, well, I learned basic greetings. And then the third, well, actually there were many trips in between those, but the third large trip was in 2019 where I took 15 Māori designers over to China. And many of us tried to learn greetings and so forth, but um, I must admit, I'm a slow language learner, <laughs> a very slow language learner. And last year I went to Rumaki Reo Reo Māori, which is mm -hmm. Rumaki. Rumaki Reo means immersion. So you're talking about immersion being this really, really specific way and probably faster way of learning a different language is just to be completely consumed and surrounded by it. And rumaki in Māori means to immerse or drown. And that is literally how I felt yeah, yeah, <laughs> the entire yeah. year last year. I felt like every day I was drowning because there was so much information. And um, But when you are in that state of immersion, you can't help but learn. So, yeah, that definitely seems to be a thread that, um, in a way, throwing yourself in the deep end can, can do that. But not everyone does that I um I was the same I backpacked in China and I also had a little A4 piece of paper with some things written <laughs> on it that uh, that I tried to use to get around Kitty um so okay you're in you're in a market and maybe meeting um, with traders or meeting with other uh, designers perhaps in China when you do use your Chinese even if it is just those few greetings what kind of reaction do you get in China to be perfectly honest, I feel like it's the same reaction that we as Māori have when other people attempt greetings or a mihi or pepeha in, in te reo Māori, and when they're not Māori or they haven't learned, you know, grown up with the language. It's almost like it's a, not a gratitude, but it's like an acknowledgement of, oh, thanks for taking the time to respect our culture. Sure. Yeah. You know, thanks for taking the time to try and learn how to pronounce that properly or how to just say hello. You know, hello, my name is in, in our language. So it's kind of a respect thing. And for us as Māori, when we moved through China, we always led with culture. And of mm -hmm. course, because we have our whakapapa origins or our genealogy origins in China as Māori, there's already this cultural connection. But as we all know, language is the gateway to culture or understanding a culture. You know, if you can understand the language, but also the, the whakaro, the, the meaning behind the kupu, the words, then that is a deep sense of connection. So I guess, yeah, using your um, te reo Māori experience, then if, if someone, uh, we were talking before we came on about, you know, butchering the language by mistake. If, if someone butchers te reo Māori, how do you 
feel? Is there still that feeling of respect uh, because it's it's well intentioned, even if it's not particularly uh, successful? Yeah, yeah. Now I, I can't speak on behalf of all Maori, but from my perspective, having been a learner of my own language, not growing up fluently speaking my language, uh, there's a, a certain amount of language trauma that comes with that. Trying to reclaim something that was essentially yours mm. and trying to learn something that, that you feel that you should essentially know already. So language trauma has taught me a lot about being humble in the, in the learning process and then sure, being sure. humble with the amount of knowledge that you have or language that you have uh, for people that are still on that journey. And for people that are attempting, I just think it's wonderful. Every single time, you know, whether there's a hapa or a mistake or there's a mispronunciation, if there's an attempt there and it's an authentic, you know, engagement and an authentic attempt, then that is wonderful. Yeah, well, I think that's the feeling in China as well, that people do acknowledge the, the effort made. But Mark, playing devil's advocate just for a minute, I mean, you've spent a long time up in China living there. Is it worth all the effort to learn or is it just easier to find a good translator and rely on that? How have you found um, speaking a bit of Chinese has helped in your development of personal relationships and, and doing business up there? Yeah, I think to echo Kitty's, uh, what she was saying, it just shows respect and, and that you are investing in the time. And I think most Kiwis are a little bit DIY. And if you're relying on, a, on another person to do, to do your dirty work, it, uh, you're not going to get as much from it. Um, so I totally agree that even just showing a few words and some token phrases and things really does help and I think I got that long before I moved to China it was you when you travel a bit you see other people that just go in there and it's a little bit arrogant to think everyone speaks English and you see the response that other people get when they have even just a few words and there are phrases that I always made sure I learned everywhere I went from hello thank you goodbye type thing but also things like you are a good cook which yeah. I love food and I always got a really good response when I said that and, and often we get extra helpings and stuff, which I quite enjoy. So I think getting back to your original question, I, I, you just get a lot more out of it. And there's so many spontaneous needs for a language that you may not anticipate just going out to, to unexpected things where, where it helps to speak the lingo. And I think that's really made a difference for me. I um I backpacked once in India and I was on a train and I asked some guys to teach me some Hindi and I thought they would teach me like where is the toilet or something like that which I desperately <laughs> needed but what they taught me to say was India is a great country and for the next few months traveling around India that was like my key I got so many free lunches and, uh, <laughs> and free chais out of out of using that expression so yeah it can really open doors for sure. Mark, just um, staying on the value of learning Chinese, there was um, Asian New Zealand Foundation put out this annual uh, survey on perceptions of Asia. They ask a lot of questions about what Kiwis think about Asia. And one of the things that leapt out this year was that 39% of New Zealanders surveyed thought that Chinese language was, was now the most useful language for young New Zealanders to learn. And that's, you know, Spanish was second on 8%, so distant second, and uh, Japanese was 3%. What's your gut feeling? Do you, do you think Chinese language is going to continue to be a growing 
must have foreign language. I mean, obviously we have English and, and Te Reo Māori and sign language, are our own languages, but uh, in terms of foreign language, is it going to increase or, or are we going to see so many Chinese people speaking English that um, our need to invest that time in their language is going to be less? It's a good question. And I think a lot of it depends on, as an individual, what you're interested in. Like if you are interested in business and trade, there's no question China is, is the largest trading partner with, I can't remember the late, latest count, but it's many, many, many countries. And similarly, New Zealand being our either biggest or second biggest, depending on, on what day of the week you're looking, it is um, very important. And also from a travel perspective, and I must say it's a lot easier learning a language that uses the Alpha Roman characters rather than Chinese. You've got that added element of the, the characters, which is so completely foreign to us. So it's, it's a good workout for your brain. And so there's benefits that aren't just about learning the language and learning to communicate and understand their culture, but also just using parts of your brain that, that, that you may not have had, which I think is healthy for everyone. Just think, I mean, that yeah, you're absolutely right. Characters are one of those hurdles that tends to put off people. But um, I've been thinking that there are some positives about Chinese as well. And one thing I wanted to ask you, Kitty, was, and I was recently teaching some Chinese people to speak some Maori words. And I realized that the vowel sounds are the same. So I wonder if you had found when you uh, you and your team were learning your greetings and that kind of thing, that just instinctively you had an ear for Chinese pronunciation in some ways, just because there were some of those um, phonetic uh, similarities between the two languages. Yeah, I think the phonetics are, are the same. And that obviously makes it a little bit easier for us to get our tongues around it, if that makes sense. But the, and I'm not quite sure what you call it, the raising tones. tones I find that so hard because we don't do that at all in English or te reo Māori and so that tonal uh, differentiation and just the tonal difference meaning that you're saying one thing or another that terrifies me so when I say butchering the language I'm scared that I'm trying to say something very respectful to another culture who I respect and I'm saying something like the cow jumped over the moon in, in a completely inappropriate setting that I find very, very challenging, the tonal. But there's cultural crossovers. You know, what I found was we went to Ashongxia, which is a beautiful high-end uh, Chinese fashion label, and they do homewares and clothing, and oh, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful example of a luxury brand that has maintained their cultural integrity while they've commercialized like it's a, such an inspiration to me this one particular business yeah and a lot of their um traditional bamboo work uh which they wrap around uh, teapots and oh there's all manner of different pieces that they sell their bamboo work the way that it lattices together creates designs exactly the same as tanikal like maori mm -hmm. weaving so the tanikal weaving and it's the same pattern ways and um and in many cases uh, represents the same kind of natural environments and so forth. So I found that obviously just completely fascinating. I find most indigenous and traditional art forms and languages and ways of communication through creativity fascinating. 
there's obviously just all these crossovers between Māori and Chinese, and we experience that every single time that we step foot on the whenua and haina. Yeah, those touch points are really amazing when you find them. I've, I've found them in Japanese language. So uh, ika in Japanese is squid and fish in te reo Māori. And then in, in um, Bahasa, Indonesia, lima is five. You know, there, there's a lot of those crossovers. Even um, power, the shellfish, is baoyu in, in Chinese. And I, I always just pause at that and think, man, that's so similar. It can't be random. It's not. It's those origin stories that we were just talking about before, you know. So these uh, voyages and hiding a well, journeys from China and Southeast Asia made their way through to Aotearoa and, of course, bring with them, you know, language yeah. and culture. And uh, it's beautiful to recognise it decades and generations later in these small, small things that you pick up and connect to immediately. It's really beautiful. Yeah, it is a really good point, the terror of the tones and terror of the characters, <laughs> that actually there are some bits that bind us as well, which I think is important. Mark, I, you've probably, of all of us, spent the most time uh, in China, at least recently, and I wanted to ask about young Chinese people these days, because learning English has been compulsory in Chinese schools for quite a while now, as my understanding. And so, in theory, these young people are coming through with much stronger English language than the generation above them. And I know that in some languages, Japanese being one example, there, there's then a lot of borrowing. So they're starting to use a lot of English words when they're speaking in, in Japan, like hamburger and computer and that kind of thing. Is a young Chinese, are they, are they adapting their English language into their own language? And is that confusing their parents and their grandparents? Yeah, it's interesting. When you, when you hear young Chinese, and particularly in our industry and in marketing, there's some words that still are not, don't appear to be widely uh, spoken in Chinese. So you'll get all, these, all this Chinese spoken and then some technical English term thrown in. So that's definitely part of the vernacular uh, and, and so many of them have not just learned English from a young age but have studied abroad or have friends that have as well so they pick up a lot of words they watch a lot of movies and things um, but there are some words like cafe and hambal bao like the hamburger and 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 all that that are definitely uh, you can see they are taken from English but as a language I think it's a really lovely language to learn because it is very logical like uh, a mobile phone for example is a hand machine and and there's just the way it all comes together is is if you can get your head around the tones the actual uh, vocab and things is actually really easy relative to some other languages I've tried um, so it, it is it, there are English words but not very much not like you'll get in other countries particularly Latin countries yeah, yeah, integration. But it makes sense that as we're moving, um, as we're developing as nations and, and people, that there are going to be transliterations and colloquialisms. We call them kiwaha in te reo Māori, and it's, mm. it's like there are things that exist now that didn't exist. Yeah, before. and I love that about in the New Zealand, like, there's so many te reo words that are now just everyday vernacular for most Kiwis, which I just love. And I'm sure in China, the same will happen. And maybe we'll get some Chinese words here. There's a few words I'd love to see uh, incorporated into our vocabs here because they just say things so much better than the English equivalent. 
as you both said, I think uh, the languages will continue to evolve. I wanted to to just um, come back to some of your personal experiences just to round up because um, we've all had a go up in China at speaking some Chinese, but maybe starting with you, Kitty, can you remember whether it was your piece of paper or your greetings or some of the interaction you had with locals? Have you had a a really standout proudest moment using your te reo haina up in China that, that you just thought, wow, that actually worked as it was intended? I'm not sure if it was through language. Maybe it was because I would do my basic ni hao and, and so forth. And that, that was always greeted with the warmest smile and appreciation for attempting something. But I think that that probably would have been when I was in speaking engagements where there was both New Zealanders and Chinese in the room um, and business representatives and, and so forth. And just um, making that extra effort in English, in Māori and in Chinese. So it's kind of like connecting all those cultures together. But honestly, I think hand on heart, I think the thing that really stood out for us in every hiding that we took over to Haina was I have this deep, deep respect for Chinese people as the tangata whenua of that land. And so I, what I found was my early introductions to China was from people who were telling me that these were the ways that I should do business and these were the ways that I should trade when I'm in China. And they didn't align with my cultural beliefs of mm-hmm. how we should treat people and how we should respect culture, our own and others. So um, I kind of disregarded all of that. Yep, <laughs> yep. And when we went over, we landed. And like I said earlier, we led all our our hui, our engagements, our relationships with culture. And that was respect of our own culture and deep, deep set respect for the Chinese culture and the way that Chinese do business. And so it is very different from the way we do business, right? But there was this need and I think responsibility for us to learn how Chinese do business and respect the fact that is the way that it is done there. And they are mana whenua, they are tangata whenua, they are the people of that land. And therefore, we need to learn how they do things, not try and impose the way that we do things in their country. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that was the thing that really bonded and made our relationship sustainable. And I think the authenticity of those engagements was felt deeply yeah. through language and through culture and through respect. I think um, authenticity is amazing over there. One of the memories I have from my time in China is hosting Maori business groups that uh, will start a meeting with the waiata. And that's not something that you would do in a Chinese business environment, but the Chinese side always just almost melted with, you know, it was such an authentic moment and, and uh, they really felt the spirit um, behind the waiata really deeply. And, that, and it just helped to set the scene for a completely different style of engagement uh, from if, if uh, you'll sit down with your suits on and just get straight into the business meeting. So um, fully get that. Well, you're speaking about the modi of a relationship, like the life force of a relationship or the waidua that's running through us and the people that we're engaging with, you know, when you feel something that can't be physically explained or physically spoken, that's a forever connection. Yeah, for sure. 
Mark, how about you? Have you had um, you know moments over your time in China where you've nailed something and just thought, oh, it's been it's all worth it. I'm you know I'm pleased that I gave that a shot. Yeah, I think you take it for granted in China because particularly outside of Shanghai, like in Shanghai, if you say Ni Hao, they'll oh, you speak such good Chinese because they're so used to these Laois coming in and and. Uh, and not really speaking much, but outside of Shanghai, it's a, a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But I think for me, it's being outside of China, which I've really appreciated being able to speak the language. And obviously, as China has got more affluent, there's more Chinese people in, in many parts of the world now. And I've, uh, I've met Chinese people in Africa, which I, mm -hmm. I had lovely conversations with. But I think in in Sri Lanka was one that really stands out. And there was this old guy, he must have been 70 plus, And he was like a solo independent traveler through Sri Lanka, but he didn't speak a word of English. And so he was traveling on his own and, and I could see he was having quite a hard run at it. And I could see the frustration between both him and the Sri Lankans who were trying to communicate and no one could really figure it out. So it was really nice to be able to go there and, almost mediate and, and translate between these two different quite disparate groups. And I think he really, really appreciated it and made his trip a little more special. And, and for me, that was really a, a lovely, ex enriching experience. Yeah, that's nice. And the fact that you're, you're still thinking about it. Uh, sort yeah, of I probably got more out of it than he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, look, um, Kitty and Mark, thank you so much for having a bit of an explore through these topics. Uh, I mean, New Zealand China Council is a really strong supporter of New Zealand Chinese Language Week. We think it is. All the language weeks that New Zealand celebrates are, are really, really um, uh, significant and vital. And just the encouragement that it gives people to give it a go. So although you are very um, modest about your reo, te reo haina uh, knowledge, I think, uh, you know, you've shown through, through your comments that, that this, what you bring to the relationship between New Zealand and China using culture and using language is, um, is uh, really inspiring. Good luck for your um, Mandarin Superstar Weeks. And we'll look forward to following your China journeys as, as you continue. And thanks again for being very valued members of our New Zealand China Council. Well, many thanks to Mark and Kitty for sharing their journeys and experiences of learning Chinese and exploring how deeper understanding of other languages and cultures can help in business and in life. We hope these small snapshots will inspire others to take further steps of their own to study Chinese language as well as our contribution to New Zealand Chinese Language Week 2022. For more podcasts, please follow us on Apple Podcast, SoundCloud and Spotify, or check out our website, nzchinacouncil.org.nz. Thanks for listening. See you soon.